welcome to Employee of the Month. Here's your host, Katie Lazarus. Hi, welcome back to Employee of the Month. Very excited to welcome the prolific playwright Adam Raff onto the show. We recorded this live at Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, and I'm hoping I will get to have Adam back for an even more in-depth interview. He has written uh, and published more books and plays than anyone anyone. So he's had 25 plays that have been already up. I think he has done 30 total and eight books. He's also written Winter Passing and Blackbird and Red Light Winter, which are films. He's written for The L Word, The Jury, and In Treatment. But he's really best known for his plays. He's a Pulitzer Prize finalist for Red Light Winter. He's also an Obie Award winner. And he's probably just finished another play while I'm talking about this. But I do recommend his books as well. I really love Children of Wolves and Punkzilla. Um, There's also Under the Wolf, Under the Dog. I think he's really into animals, winter, and alienation. In addition (laughs) to (laughs) churning out these totally original, every time he tries something new, which is just incredible, plays and films and books, and still writes for television shows. He's also um, a phenomenal basketball player. He was going to go pro when he was young, but then went to a poetry class and decided to um, really pursue that muse instead. And he is part of the band Less. I wanted to just point out that Adam and I talk about his relationship with the New York Times critic, Charles Isherwood. Mr. Isherwood repeatedly criticizes not just Adam's plays, but Adam personally. And he eventually wrote a piece saying that it was a wrap for him, that he was going to no longer be reviewing Adam because he was so biased. And it just seemed so unethical (laughs) to be a theater reviewer for the New York Times and know that you've been biased this entire time, but continue to review someone. Know that you're not open to their plays and potentially ruin their career. Luckily, it hasn't stopped Adam. But it was his first time revealing his feelings about what it's like to be on the receiving end of uh, personal avarice in a professional context. Without further ado, here's my interview with Mr. Adam Rapp. I don't know why I always say ado. Maybe it's a secret way to sound intellectually that I'm really making a potty joke. Okay, drum roll. One, two, three, go. This is like the most mellow show so far. How are you? Good. Good? Yes. Um, so I wanted to bring out all of your books for everyone. Um, I don't have all of them right. Do you know the names of all your books? I think so. <laughs> okay, I'm just, will you name them while I, while I bring them out? I can't, I, I'm not as dexterous as you are. I can't do two things at once. Um, yeah. Uh, that's the copper elephant. That's under the wolf, under the dog. That's Punkzilla. That's ball peen hammer. It's called Little Chicago. I feel I feel like I'm listing diseases. That's called uh, The Metal Children, a play by Adam Rapp. That's called Essential Self Defense. Some of these don't stand very well. We're just gonna put them you, should, you should just throw them, turn them into coasters. Um, Is that what happens in your house? Yes. Treblinka American Sligo Gompers. I don't know. These are, that's just a picture of me on a book. But you wrote those plays in there. Nocturne, and this is my first book. It's called Missing the Piano, which is like the worst title you could ever write. And that's from 95, right? Uh, 94, and this is The Buffalo Tree. And I think I actually kind of look like the guy on the cover now. 
Now that one. Now I do. But that one was um, in Mullenberg, Pennsylvania. They they wouldn't allow children to read it in the yes library. And um, I found the woman who who was so upset, Brittany Hunsucker. Yes. Um, her Facebook page is amazing, and I also hope you will check that out. Have you seen her Facebook page? No. So she ensured that your book was pulled from the shelves. Yes. Um, I'm so sorry that I can't display these better right now, but you. But I can hold that one. Does up. it feel? Does it feel sad if I'm not? No, it feels much more comfortable that you're not holding. Okay, them good. Up. Okay, good, good. But good. that was this one with the pig face. That was the one that that wasn't that was. Pulled? No, 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 no. This is the one. Th that's the one the play is kind of based on. This is the book with the. It's a really nice book. It's a book about a kid who gets sent to a um, reform school, and it's about like how he makes friends and how he survives, and it's about mercy and friendship and like beating the system. But there's a masturbation scene in it, and there's some swearing in it. That is terrible. It's no like a boys, kids masturbate. It's, Teen boys know, don't masturbate. Especially 13-year-old boys That's never nuts. masturbate. That's nuts. That's bananas. I went to go to her site because she cares so much about God, and she's, she loves God so much that she um, superimposes his face on to back off devil, I belong to Jesus on pictures of her kids. Wow. And she also has a picture of her kid dressed up as a devil. Um, I think we should all be friends with her. That's You can't really see the kid very well, but that's the devil's ears. Oh, yeah. My God, enough for me, Sheriff, yes. So I think you really may have sent her over the edge. Yeah, she stood up in front of her, her school board and um, said all these things about the book and said, I, I don't want to read this. It, it's awful and all this stuff. And then we found out later on that she never even read the book. That she was puppeteered by her Christian group to go in front of her school board. And there was this like, uh, cultural civil war in the town about the book. It was really kind of exciting for me. Wait, were they... <laughs> I went, when I went there, they asked me to come. I couldn't come immediately because I was in, in, involved in a play. But when I eventually went, they had, a, they had a town meeting a year later. And when I went... We, we held the town meeting at a Lutheran church, and um, I love, I, Lutheran it was insane. It was really insane. It was in uh, Reading, Pennsylvania, and uh, I, thought I, was, I thought it was like the most surreal thing I've ever experienced. I, I had forgotten about my own book. So well, I they can were see was why, talking. if I had these many books. Yeah, how do well, you remember? I, I mean, I just, I remembered it, but I, I was, I'm busy, and then you forget about characters, or you forget about nuances, and people were telling me things about my book, and I was like, wow, that sounds really good. Oh, you, oh good, 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 good. That re reinforced why you did it in the first place? Yeah. Wait, so, and so they, did they, they pulled it from the shelves? I was just intrigued. I'd never heard of They pulled it from the shelves. They pulled it out of kids' hands in cafeterias, like went, give me that. And they put it in a safe. They put all the books in a safe. They went to the Barnes & Noble and bought all the books from Barnes & Noble and put it in a safe. And then they decided to just keep the books in the safe like it was a virus or something <laughs> until it was determined whether or not they were going to reintroduce it to the curriculum. Do you think they're going for $24,995 on Amazon right now? I wish they were. <laughs> like the Broomhilda doll? Yeah. <laughs> like the Django and Gino? No, it was really, really intense. Uh, and it was really interesting to be a part of that, but also just so weird. Like, people are really weird about books. It sounds like a little bit of a Salem witch trial, though, to, to have you come down there and, and um, have to explain yourself. Yeah, well, they were yourself. all like, well, you look... You, they, I think they thought I was going to look like a warlock or a motorcycle gang leader. <laughs> and they were like, you look so nice. Like, you look like a nice person. And I was like, well, I'm not... Like, a know, nice we, person. The artist and the artifact are different things, and that was interesting to think about after the fact. But... um. 
they they were really prepared for me to be like um, a warlock. I think they don't see you as as a also Jesus's child or nephew or relative or no. I, I'm not no. sure. No. Okay. No. You don't count under the umbrella. No. What do you mean? Well, I mean, just like if you're very very religious, I would assume that everyone is God's children, and then you would also yeah. want to protect all of God's children. They don't see you no. as equal. No. No. They they didn't want this infection to be a part of the you know, of their child's lives, children's lives. And so um, the interesting thing that happened was what at one mean? point this girl stood up because there was a Q&A afterwards after everybody said their piece. We were all at this panel. And, they, and at one point they were like, uh, Mr. Rapp, would you like to say something now? And they pointed to the pulpit. Like we were all at a, like a, <laughs> a convention table and they pointed to the pulpit. And then I was like, this is like, I feel like Rock'em Sock'em Robots or something. They just keep falling up. Um, and I went to the pulpit and I said some things about the book, and uh, <laughs> yeah, just that. and then I just uh, said some things about what my what I was thinking about when I was writing it, where I was when I was writing it, how old I was, you know, how it was about. I was in reform school as a kid, and I was just saying personal things. And then at the end, they I sat down, and then at the end they had they had people come to the middle of the aisle and they could ask questions or say things that they felt passionate about. And this girl named Mary Eason Moyer came to the middle of the. Of uh, the, the aisle, and she said she had the mic, and she asked. Um, Otto Hurley was this uh, the head of the school board and the superintendent of her high, of her high school. She was like, "Mr. Hurley, I just want to know why you're making all these decisions about material selections for our high school, and you're doing it, you, and you've never spent, spent stepped one foot in our high school this year." And she, and all, like 150 kids stood uh, stood up holding my book and screamed. <laughs> And it was like a revolution, and I was like, "That's so exciting! This is so awesome!" And you finally I, get to be I, like the most popular kid in high school. I got goosebumps, and I felt I felt nauseous, and I was moved to tears, and all that stuff. It was really beautiful. It is and really now beautiful. I live in the East Village, and I eat pizza. On the town. Everything so wait, got better, right? Okay, so when you were in high school, though, you you were doing organic pre-med, and you were playing basketball, and you thought you were going to go professional basketball. I guess college, you were doing pre-med. In right? college, yeah, I was I was a pre-med major until organic chem. Which is like the litmus test, you know? No, I don't know. It's like people... I like to, got, barely made it to physics. You do biology yeah. and you do physics and you do chem and you do chem one and two and then you do some stats class or something and then you go to organic chem and either you Stop see it... Stop saying use, just say I. You I see, see it or you don't see it. And I did not see it. And I was like, I can't see it. And I was like, I'm, I'm not going to be a doctor. And so I had to stay on the basketball team so I had to switch, uh, drop some classes and fill them. That's how I found writing. Okay, so yeah, talk about that because you were you were in a you heard a poetry class. You heard Ravi Shankar call oh, to you. This is going to lead to me having to read a poem. Um, a very embarrassing poem. Uh, yeah, I was I was on my way to the registrar's office. There was displaced poetry class being given because the, it was displaced because there was construction in one of the buildings, and so they were using the the classroom where the office that was next to the <laughs> registrar's office. And I heard like like Ravi Shankar. <laughs> like sitar music, and I popped my head in, and this guy named Bill Pauly, who was this... Um, That's it. That was my science class at Wesleyan, by the way. They were playing. Really? Yeah. Well, Wesleyan, <laughs> they, they have bi-curious dorms and stuff. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I taught there. It was awesome. How'd I do? They were all smarter than me. Um, but I popped that's, my head in, and this false, kid, Bill Pauly, was like... He looked at me, and he, he saw me in the door, when he went, come in. And I came in, and there were all these kids around a radio, and they were listening to music, and they were doing an automatic writing exercise with yellow legal pads and pencils. And the, the rule was you just couldn't stop your pencil from moving. You could draw a picture, you could yeah. 
you could make hieroglyphics, you could do whatever. So I, I just said, okay, and I sat down and I started, and that was like the beginning of my romance with letters. So let's let's hear from some of oh. your poetry. I and I will I sh I will share my poem as a. It's bad. Mine was about bulimia, and I wrote, "There is something in the toilet, and it don't mean shit." <laughs> and that was how I knew to move forward and go into acting. Um, right. Here's this. I cannot believe I'm reading this in front of anybody. So this is this your first uh, poem? This is, no, this is a, no. And that was published too. Is there anything that is not this published? This is published in a, in, a, in a journal that my school pressed called Outlet. I feel like your Amex Which is like making jeans for the Gap or something. It's like being local. Um, but it was a nice little journal. It's nice. They did art and they had like short stories and Everything poetry. you write is published. This is called, no, no. Your Amex bills? Yes. Oh. This is called... <laughs> This is called, it's called Black Road. Black Road. <laughs> Roadkill. You drive on, hermetically sealed in your casket of steel, slicing clouds of flies in half. You can't see the eyes, just a heap of fur pasted to the highway. It sticks to your rear view mirror like a poisonous thumbtack. And you drive faster. There's a transparent feeling in your bones. It has sneaked through the vents. You smell it clinging to the back seat. It could have been something from the woods, a frightened coon, a fox, or a neighborhood dog that was too slow. <laughs> At night, the secret highway custodian scrapes it up with a giant spatula and buries it in your front lawn next to the driveway, right beside the terrible stain on your Buick. I just realized that I, I, there's a terribly mixed metaphor, and that there's a there's a there's, he buries it in the hot in your in your neighborhood lawn, but he's the highway custodian. That's terrible. Like who would? I think it's that? accurate to your times. You were in high school, and that was well, that was college. Oh, that was sorry. college. That was my third. That was my second year of college. I was a, I was 20 almost. At Clark. And I was almost through puberty. Okay, but then, all right, so we can talk about, we can have all this false modesty about people who are Wesleyan or smarter than you, which you know is bullshit because you're sitting next to one. And um, you've done so many books and so many plays and film. You've written for your own films and television. And then you also have hobbies, which is equally irritating that you're able to get all of this done and then still be in a band and play basketball five times a week um, and date. I, I find all of it just obnoxious. I don't date. Okay, good. Okay, that makes me feel a little bit better. Like, how... You can't make someone else brilliant, but how do you fucking get all of this stuff finished? Um, um, I don't know. I just like doing it. I really do. I just like writing and I like making stuff okay, up. But I like, like I, I, get, I get off on it. Go, go. That, that I understand. I like, As an artist, I have I get fun that. doing it. It's fun for me. I don't, I do have, you know, I do write painful things sometimes, but I don't have, I don't have a process that's like, oh man, I got to write. I look forward to it. And it's, it's so you don't have writer's that. block. No, I have. I, I think if I wasn't a writer, I'd be a schizophrenia man. Schizophrenic. Schizophrenic. I'd be a schizophrenic. <laughs> I think because I have all this stuff in my head that's like, and then I write, and then that helps me channel it or organize it. But I think most people have the, but it's the process of sitting down and writing, and then the completion part. I feel like like you, whatever the equivalent of the orgasm would be in writing. 
you 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 orgasm a lot in writing. <laughs> that would be that would be it. I mean, it it's yeah. tremendous. And having seen so many of your plays and novels, I uh, sorry read, read um, some of your novels. I I was just flabbergasted. Like you don't take Ritalin or anything. No, I don't take drugs. I do drugs, but uh, I don't take them when I write. Okay. And I don't drink when I write. And I'm very healthy, actually. I, I take care of myself. And you play basketball all the freaking time. I played today for three hours, and I'm playing. I have a game to, on Thursday, and I play Saturday mornings, and I play Mondays and Wednesdays, and I play all the time because if I don't, I'll go crazy. Okay. And then how often do you write? I write when I have to, like, when I have an idea and it's bothering me a lot, I write. So, so you have ideas, like, all the time. Yeah, I guess. So I guess I'm just logistically, I was no, just trying to figure I, out with six hours. I mean, sorry, how many, how many hours of basketball do you think you do in a week? I mean, 20, I don't know. 20 hours a week of basketball. 23 times five. Okay, then you 15, 15. 15 hours of basketball. 12, 12, 12. All right, let's say 12 hours of basketball, plus you have to get there, shower, change. So I'm going to have to add on. I don't shower either. Okay. So take like 20 off of that. Okay, all right, but still, you still have to get there. You have to get, get over there. Yes. Change clothes and stuff like that, put yes. deodorant on. Tonight. I don't put deodorant on before I play. I know, but afterwards, I'm saying time-wise. Yes. Yeah. And then um, you're writing six to ten hours a day, you've told me? If I'm working, yeah, if I'm working on something. It's sometimes more, sometimes less, sometimes long. Like, sometimes I'll go, like, a whole weekend, and I just will write all weekend, and I'll eat, and I'll take my dog. I have a dog. Caesar. He organizes me. Like, he makes me do three times a day, I have to take him out. So I have to, like, organize my life around I'm him. sorry, I have a dog, too. That's not, that's not what happens. <laughs> She's like, just pet me. And I'm like, all right, let's just hang out in bed and pet. Like, that's my a, dog's, it's brilliant. My dog's so good, though. He's so, he's so... He's uh, also writing? Or doing the research? <laughs> he writes my plays. Yeah. I'm trying to get my dog to work on a Tumblr blog. Somebody's got to make money. Um, so how and you, you left, you were writing for um, The L Word, I think, and you left to go to Edinburgh for one of your plays? Yes. Just, I, I don't know a lot about theater, but does it pay that well that you can leave a TV writing no, job? No, but I had made enough money on that show where I felt like, oh, I can get ahead a little, I'm, I was a little ahead, and then you do theater and you kind of get poor, and you, you burn up the money that you made on television, and then you have to get another TV job. Let's use I statements. So. I. Yeah. I. <laughs> Well, for the L word, <laughs> I had to quit and do a play. Yeah, I do that. I do that as much as I can. And now I'm broke, and so I'm trying to get a TV job or some job that's going to pay me. Um, I'm supposed to be doing a film right now that isn't happening. Red Light Winter. That was from your Pulitzer-nominated play. Thank you for the tag. Yeah. Did you like that? Don't I have like yeah. kind of James Lipton feel there? When I tell you about you, I tell you things you don't know about. I you. like James Lipton. You have two eyebrows. I know, but he always tells the person he, about themselves as if they don't know already. I like him. Um, I, I, you can hang I mean, out I don't after know this. Him. I don't know him at all. <laughs> um, I'm sorry to James. Should I apologize to him? Yes. Okay, I'm sorry to James Lifton, but I feel like he'll tell you. You should who have you him are. on the show. Okay, well, I don't know if he's going to come on now after I insulted him. I don't know how to take it back. It's out there. I wonder what his special skill would be. It's just out there in the, in the world. Um, so, uh, my apologies to James Lifton. Um, I, I, speaking of sometimes having things out in the world that you're not sure you would like out there, um, you have a reviewer at, at the New York Times, Charles Isherwood, who um, dislikes your plays vehemently and um, has done so since the beginning. I think he's, he's not, he stopped eventually and he said that it, it's a wrap, he's gonna stop reviewing you. Um, what was it 
like having the most important paper in the world take issue with you. And at the same time, subsequently, you are having your plays at the most prestigious theaters all over the world with the finest actors. Um, so it's not like it's hurting you get getting work. But I was just curious, emotionally, I can't handle it when pe people write that I'm like a puppy dog, even though, you know, I mean, let's be honest, you know? I've never spoken about this, ever. Um, I think it really hurt my feelings for a long time. And I think he's an asshole. I think he's a, a fucking asshole. I think so too. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think the idea that, yeah. that someone can know that they have beef with you personally, which is what he wrote in his final piece, and to be allowed to continue to write about you, it shows that he's not going to be objective as a reviewer. He's not going to do his job of being open-minded and coming to the table. And I was surprised that he's been able to stay so long. I know that he also makes money on Gossip Girl, so he could get a side job if he wanted. Yeah, I think, I mean, the thing that was surprising, in all seriousness, is that he admitted that he had prejudice against me. And then yeah. he continued to review me, which makes me feel like, well, he really is trying to really hurt me. So he didn't recuse himself. Privately, he recused himself publicly, and then he smeared me all over the place in that little essay he wrote. The other thing that is weird is if he if he has if he hates me so much and he has these people who he likes, then maybe he should recuse himself from seeing them too. You know? Yes, that because like, he's admitting so that he has like bias, so he should like let other people handle other people too. Um, I I don't know. It wouldn't matter so much if we were in a theater culture where the times didn't mean so much, but it does. It means, it means you know, everything. It's, it, it's huge for a career. It's huge for getting your work done regionally and overseas. And it's, it's big for your New York um, life. It's, you know, when, when good things happen to me from the New York times, um, my life got better. You know, that's just, the, that's just the truth that any actor, any director, any person in the theater will tell you, like if you get a good times review, it helps in many, many ways. Um, I wish it didn't matter so much, but it does. And um, fortunately there are other good, critics out there who like me um, and one of my one of the guys who really likes me just retired from the New Yorker who's that uh, John Lahr which is sad because you know he was nice to me and uh, now he's gone so now I have more to more to battle more battles you're keeping it I don't know I'm fine. trying to have a sense of humor about it too there was a moment where the BBC called me in in, in London and they called me um, and they asked me if I would come on a talk show there and they said, we want to discuss the whole issue between you and Charles Isherwood on a talk show. And they said, um, he's already said, yes, he would do it. Will you come? And I said, no. And they said, why? And I said, because I'll probably punch him in the face. Yeah. And then I'll just look like an asshole and I'll go to jail. Yes. Yeah. Then if you respond to him. And then I'll have to be like somebody that they write about later, like he hit a critic instead of somebody that liked my work. I mean, I'm joking, but for that, I was I stopped acting right after that. Right after I saw that on blogs, I was like, oh my God, I should never. It's awful when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. I'm never going to do background work again. I can tell you that much. I think you look nice in that shot. Thank you. Thank you. Here to sell toothpaste, if anyone. Um, so the other thing, in, in addition to being a phenomenal writer and director, you've also directed films. You are now making your Broadway debut. Um, yeah. alongside Bobby Cannavale um, in Cliff Odette. Does he go by Cliff or Clifford? And he's not here Clifford anymore. Odette's is the big knife. Yes. This was not my idea. Uh, can you not act fast about it? Because you, even, I, you have your brother, Anthony, it's true. like an it's, actor it wasn't. And, I, and Bobby came to me, and so did Doug Hughes, the director. It's to play the writer character, which is sort of Odette's-like 
and they just thought it was a really interesting idea for casting. And at first I thought they were joking and then we kept talking about it and I got scared. And then I was like, well, if I'm scared, then I should do it because you should do things that you're scared of. And um, so I'm gonna do it. And I told them they should fire me if I suck. And if like by week two, they have every right to say you're not, because I worry, you know, I can be on the other side of the table and I think I have good taste with actors and I have good taste with storytelling and I think yes. I know how to direct and I think I, I have a lot of experience in the theater, but I've never, I haven't been on the other side of it. So I might think that I'm like doing, like I'm moving my arm, but I'm actually moving my leg. You know, right. like I worry right. that there's some dysmorphia right. that would be exhibited, that would be terrible for the play. Well, I think all of us are, are excited to see it and um, It's totally... not a big part either, it's three scenes. You know what, I really don't think that's nice to say to some people, because you know, it it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. I thought you were gonna play Michael Shannon's brother, his redheaded brother. But I'm excited that you're gonna play yourself. Oh, sorry, I apologize. What, what is blonde, no? Does that not count as blonde? Anything that's not- The curtains don't match the drapes. Oh, good to see we, you guys. We've had an exclusive on how you feel about Chuck Isherwood, Chaz. Does he go by Chaz? Chaz. I don't know. Um, so what I wanted to do, can we have know. a longer interview? Can we, we can sit down and really talk about all, all yeah. I just finished Punkzilla and I loved it so much. And oh, I thanks. really recommend people check out Adam Rapp's work. They're phenomenal. Before Adam goes, um, he, you did work in a, in subway, a subway like store and you've done all these other things. You really were going to be a professional uh, basketball player and even played overseas. So I wanted to see some of your fancy moves on the b-ball court. Is that, that's not how they talk. That's not the jargon at all. Could I be any more if, white? Okay, here. If, the, if they were doing a basketball scene in, in fame. Oh, that, good. That's what it would be like. Yes! I can do um, background work in fame. What am I supposed to do? Like a trick? Yeah, do you, well, do you have any? That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please check out our website, employeeofthemonthshow.com. That's employeeofthemonthshow.com. You can nominate people. You can give me feedback about the interviews, what you liked, didn't like, people you'd like to hear from. Again, this show is about jobs, work, and culture. So trying to get a sense of how people spend their time, what they do with it. We really only, we meaning me, like to only interview interesting, good eggs, the good part meaning that they have a moral compass. I probably will not take someone if they're a dictator or a parking ticket officer, but anyone else who has a really interesting job or career, please feel free to uh, let us know about them. Please donate if you have money. We could really use your help. It makes the sound quality that much better. It helps pay for people. And even me, I could afford to have three meals in a day instead of combining. That would be a delight. I really want to thank Ian Mazoff for being just a wonderful partner in crime, as well as all of you for listening. Thank you so, so much. And how did I not thank Lady Parts? Thank you, Lady, for being the best co-host a host could ever have. I'm Katie Lazarus. Be well.